Today on the Ryan Rosillo Podcast, we go through all the numbers, betting trends, and the picks for your conference championship games. A lot of stuff in there. Not sure how relevant any of it will be. John Hollinger on the NBA trade deadline. Uh, would you ever move Trey in season? Will Golden State pivot on some of the young guys and try to add a bunch of other teams we get to as well? And we have our picks contest that continues. It's getting contested. A lot of, lot of, a lot of heat between the guys on the show on this one. So I don't know if it's going to ruin the friendship vibes and life advice. Enjoy the weekend. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Let's preview the conference championship games, the NFL this weekend. I'm going to start with kind of the headlines, jump into some of the numbers and take a look at some of the betting trends. Then we'll give you the picks and picks against the spread. All right, so here we go. Uh, These four teams are in a heater. This is an unbelievable stretch for these four teams, and it's kind of cool too. I mean, it's always kind of nice when you get the little underdog, and I always kind of joke about the underdog with the NCAA tournament. It's like everybody loves it until your final four. You're like, I don't want to watch that team play. Um, and this is what we have right now. The past 10 weeks, these four teams have combined for a 34-3 and record. San Francisco's 12 straight. Philadelphia 7-0 with Hurts as the starter. Kansas City 11-1 with that one loss at Cincinnati. And Cincinnati, since the 0-2 start, 14-2 with 10 straight as well. All right? Uh, this is the Niners' third NFC championship game in four years. And when you consider the quarterbacks, like I just don't want to hear it. Even if they lose this weekend, I don't want to hear anything negative about Shanahan. I mean, he's going to get fired eventually because that's just what happens in this job for the most part, except for the rarest of exceptions. But I don't want to hear like, oh, is he really that dude? They'd be like, this is insane what this team has put together. Uh, and it's almost like we've we've lost track of how hot all of these teams have been. Certainly not you for the fan bases that are on it. But I think there's even times with San Francisco where I've been like, wait, <laughs> long as it been since they've lost a football game? Kansas City on the other side hosting their fifth straight AFC title game which also feels like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because the first time I had read that, I'm going through it. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Mahomes is basically turning into 20-teens LeBron. So we start with the NFC game, Niners at Philadelphia. The 49ers have gone 27 straight games without allowing a rush over 70 yards. Now, going back to week two of 2021, Hurts had 82 yards on the ground against the Niners. I don't really think that means anything. Uh, it was a completely different Hurts then. I think a different offensive system. Uh, it took me probably a little longer than it should have with Hurts this season. But eventually, it just maybe it was the Titans game where I go, he's just really good. Like there was just way more buy-in. And again, as you know, listen to me long enough, I'm just a little stubborn when it comes to certain things. 
because I think we actually lose our minds quicker uh, with the weight. Like the same thing with Purdy. Like, I don't know. Maybe it all works out. Maybe he's a starter for a bunch of years. But just because they've gone on this run and they're playing in the title game again, I'm not going to say, yep, they're good. They've got the guy for the next decade. I'm not sure yet. So when you look at Hertz in his rushing game, last week he had 34 yards on nine carries. I don't know that he was in a real hurry to run. It also wasn't necessary because the Eagles are just that much better than the Giants. So I'm not sure what to take from that. Again, the week two going back two seasons doesn't mean much. But this does mean something because the Niners, if you're trying to find some kind of weakness in this defense, they're 19th in the NFL against QB runs. Success rate, by the way, not just yards. The yardage number is a little bit better, but the success rate accounts for some different things. Hertz did say this week that he's not 100%, which... I think it's a little surprising because when I think of Hertz, he's like the anti-Big Ben. Like Roethlisberger, I think one point, like there's been multiple medical diagnoses where he self-diagnosed something. I think he said one time, like on a sideline report, he's like, yeah, I had 104 fever today. What's up? All right, third down. Let's go. So uh, Hertz doesn't give off any of those Big Ben vibes and exaggerating every fucking injury. Uh, but if he's not 100%, does that cancel out some of the issues that we think would be an advantage for Philadelphia? Uh, looking at Philly's defense, we know personnel-wise it's stacked, uh, but a really important part of this is the additions that they've had roster-wise to that front. And since week 11, since Lin uh, Linval Joseph entered the fray here, Philadelphia, which statistically at times looked pretty bad on paper against the rush, is top three now. So if you look at some of the season overall stuff, and it can all be misleading, if you're looking at weeks one through 18 and the averages are going, oh, maybe this team's great, maybe there's a weakness here, some of the more recent weighted stuff, especially if there's a personnel change or a team is healthier again, uh, it, it can mean way more than the overall stats. Uh, another number that we brought up last week for San Francisco was that Purdy since taking over, San Francisco had given him 22 drives in plus territory, which was so far and ahead of number two Jacksonville. I think it was nine more possessions there. However, uh, there's also a number that tells you Purdy's doing really good since he's taken over on the longer drives. Any drive for San Francisco starting 70 or more yards away, right? So 30 or back. Uh, San Francisco is actually number one in the NFL in points per possession on these drives at 2.67. So it's not just Purdy and plus territory. There are games or there are moments in games where I don't think he looks all that great. But at the same time, I think the, maybe the most important factor is he just doesn't look scared. I think he deals with getting his ass kicked every now and then a little bit better than somebody else with less experience or as limited experience as Purdy's had. Here's a number that kind of cancels itself out again. Shanahan. What do we know about him? He's going to run a lot of pre-stap motion. Um, they run a lot of it, and Purdy's actually number one in yards per attempt of pre-stap motion. But Philadelphia is number one in the NFL on defense against the opposing quarterbacks when it comes to QBR and the pre-stap motion. So, look, it sounds kind of complicated. It sounds kind of cool. Um, that's just something to say. Whatever. Throwing it in there. If I'm just looking at like watching the two teams and how they match up, from all the games that you watch over the course of the season. The Niners secondary against two really good receivers and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, tight end as well. I think that might be the issue. That's kind of where I'm leaning. The overall part of this is Hurts versus Purdy. And I went through the last 10 conference championship games. It was like, how often did the kind of lesser quarter, like the understood lesser quarterback, beat the established guy? I mean, there's just a lot of stuff if you go back through it, where 
I don't know that it tells much of a story. Like I was trying to find something that was really significant or some kind of trend. You know, if you look at last year's matchup, Stafford was better than Garoppolo. I think we all would have agreed. Burrow Mahomes. Burrow wins it, but it's not some massive disparity. Uh, Mahomes Allen, Mahomes still better. Brady Rogers, Brady better. I can just keep going through it, looking for it. Maybe Goff beating Breeze in 18. But, you know, Hurts isn't Breeze. And is Purdy Goff? I don't know. Like there wasn't, there really wasn't much there. A Foles Keenum matchup. Uh, Cam that year was better than Carson Palmer. That was like a really incredible year for Cam that was essentially an outlier on his career. Um, Kaepernick beating Matt Ryan <laughs> 10 years ago. So I don't know that there's something as similar, especially when you think about how well San Francisco has been doing, where you go, okay, who's Purdy's comp? And is there anything? in these last 20 matchups that would match this where you'd think, hey, and there really didn't. It felt like I wrote it all down and now I'm making you listen to it. So let's keep moving on. All right, so that's kind of the statistical breakdown of some of that stuff. We go to the AFC Championship game, Cincinnati at KC. Uh, Cincy, as we all know, has won the last three in this matchup. Uh, Jamar Chase, who's my favorite wide receiver in the NFL. You can have everybody else. I know I might be wrong, but I don't care. 24 receptions on 29 targets, four touchdowns. That's 417 yards in his last three matchups against Kansas City. Now, the bulk of this was the end of the regular season of 21, where he went 11 for 266 and three touchdowns. And then when they met the playoffs not that much later, uh, it was only six for 54. But that's still, I know it skews it a bit because of that one game, but he's a problem, right? And I think even though his numbers weren't eye-catching against Buffalo, you could see that once he was established, now, Cincinnati was really comfortable with what they were able to do offensively, even if Buffalo was going to adjust to however they wanted to kind of cover him with a second guy. Uh, the bigger headline of this entire thing is the Mahomes injury. Full participant at practice on Wednesday and Thursday. So by the time you listen to this, we will not know the Friday practice situation, but it sounds like he's good to go. Uh, the Michelle Steele video ESPN reporter that I retweeted showed him walking fine, but again, that was an oppressor, so who knows? But then you look back and you be like, okay, does this mean that Mahomes is going to be in the pocket a lot? Well, that's not a problem because he has the number one QBR in the NFL inside of the pocket. Uh, when you look at Mahomes against Cincinnati and you think about these three losses, what's happening? Well, he has two insane games and then one bad one. Um, and that was the playoff game where we had the two picks, and they were awful. Uh, the first pick was was really early in the possession, and it gave Cincinnati great field position, 27-yard touchdown, and the other one's a deep shot in overtime. So there you go. I mean, two picks you can't have in that in that moment. But if you look at Mahomes, you know, he really he killed it in two of the games, so it's not really on him. Although Cincinnati is doing a good job of limiting his yardage in the air, 252 per game. Uh, throwing the football against this defense. And this is somebody who led the NFL in yards per game this season at 309 and was fifth last season at 284. So whatever it is that Cincinnati does against Mahomes, they're able to limit him a little bit more. The problem is, I mean, it's it's pretty simple here. Uh, the defense for Kansas City is allowed 29 points per game against the Bengals in this matchup. Uh, another number that I think is very concerning for Chiefs fans, if you look at Cincinnati's defense in the red zone, uh, they're really good. The red zone touchdown percentage Cincinnati's fifth, fifth best. Kansas City's 31st, second worst in the NFL. That's a problem, and I think it feels like the, the eye test of watching these two teams play defensively. And it's just weird for me in the Chiefs on defense. 
I like what they did. I like that they wanted to turn it over, bring in younger guys. You'd probably rather be young and inexperienced before you get too old. So it was like they were preparing for this and some of the personnel I really like, but the numbers just haven't been there for him. And that's been the bigger issue, I think, than anything other than the Mahomes picks in that one game. For the most part, he's he's done well on the QBR stuff, but they've limited him somewhat. Okay, another thing that I feel like now is completely being overlooked because of Mahomes' ankle injury is the Cincinnati O-line problems. I guess they're just done now. We're not going to worry about them. I am guilty of it as well. Could it be fool, fool's gold a bit on this? You know, against Baltimore, it didn't look that great. Against Buffalo, it was just awesome. Uh, maybe, again, this all kind of speaks to Buffalo in that pass rush that was non-existent post-Von Miller. So I don't know if that is going to be a problem for this one. We know that Spagnuolo, whenever he gets into trouble, whenever he thinks he needs something, he's going to send pressure. The problem is I think Burrow handles it uh, as well as as anybody out there, whether it's a number that backs it up or just his composure throughout all of it. And he was 7-9 on third downs in their last matchup. So the O-line part of it, we could all be now overlooking after obsessing about it just a week ago. All right, let's talk betting trends, and then we'll give you the picks. Let's look at the refs. In the NFC Championship game, this stuff is pretty interesting here. Uh, we need You guys want crew chief names? It's probably going to get you excited, right? All right. In the NFC, John Hussey, his third fewest flags for his crew in 2022. All right. And this is a Niners team that was second highest in holding, offensive holding, and Philadelphia was the third most. All right. So that's those are the number two and three teams called for holding, and they're they're going in with a crew that doesn't throw the flag. Only two crews threw less flags than John Hussey's. Now, on the AFC side of it, we get a little Ron Torbert, so let's get going. 12 flags per game, that's the fifth fewest. So both of these games have crews that don't like to throw the flag, which I think is what we all want. Tim Hasselbeck, who's really good and joined us earlier this week, said from what he could see over the course of the playoffs, it felt a lot like the refs were letting him play all over the place. Um, there's another number that would back that up somewhat. Uh, specifically, when I think about the secondary for the Niners against the Eagles, if they let them play, then maybe that diminishes an advantage that I think that the Eagles clearly have personnel-wise because Torbert's crew threw 33 total flags for defensive pass interference, illegal contact, and defensive holding. That's the third lowest. All right, so let's keep this moving here. Kansas City is 7-11 and against the spread this season. 11 losses are the most by a team entering the conference championship game in the Super Bowl era. Uh, last betting trend that we have for you. Playoff dogs right now, 6-4 and four against the spread, so not much there. The under was 4-0 and oh last week. So you wonder if the lack of flags being thrown in general and with two crews like that, if the unders are in play. And if maybe there's just some kind of correction with Cincinnati and Kansas City, which I think it was, on 40, it was at 48 this morning on FanDuel, something to play there. All right, uh, so the unders were 4-0 and oh last week, but the totals are 5-5 five and five in the playoffs so far, so not much there. Here are the picks. Give me Philadelphia minus two and a half. I just, even though my gut is going with San Francisco and this run, I can't take Purdy on the road at Philadelphia. But if Hertz is not 100% and not taking advantage of where the Niners lack and some of that um, defensive stuff holding up against QB runs, then this game, we're going to see it pretty quickly, right? Unless we get some of those runs where it's like, I don't care, Super Bowl appearances on the line. But Purdy on the road against Hertz in Philadelphia, the brain tells me just don't make this complicated. Uh, Philadelphia minus two and a half and give me Cincinnati plus one and a half on the road in Kansas City to do it one more time.
If you've been watching the NFL playoffs from the sidelines, there's still time to get in the game with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers bet this Sunday's conference championship games with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. We give our picks out for this week right before Life Advice. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in bonus bets, win or lose, with the promo code RYAN, R-Y-E-N. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older in select states. First online real money wager. Only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. All right, we're excited to do this. Uh, just talk some hoops, obviously leading up to trade deadline from The Athletic and the Hollinger and Duncan podcast. It's John Hollinger. What's up? How you doing? Thanks for having I, me on the show. I'm good. I know that was tough to kind of get you because... I imagine it's been kind of a tough few months since ESPN's removed PER from its stat sorting. Have you noticed this? Oh, it this? did? <laughs> I did not notice that. <laughs> it's gone. Well. <laughs> How do you feel? It's a, it, took, it took a decade, but okay. <laughs> it's gone. So if you go to advanced stats, I don't even have it in there anymore. And then you used okay. to be able to kind of sort it. Because I always liked, you know, and, and John's the, the inventor of PER. And uh, as soon as somebody invents something, then takes some time for people to go this is stupid mm-hmm. and it's just the evolution of how things work but i always liked it that at the extremes like it it did tell a story and as you admitted yeah. as you've admitted like yeah there's flaws in it just like everything else and it was funny because as i was looking through it i was prepping this morning for this mm-hmm. i found some bleach report article just savage it just it hated you so much. It was from like 10 years ago. So okay. <laughs> 10 years ago, Bleacher Report, I wouldn't exactly put up there with Ron Chernow, but I, it was basically saying like PER has no way to calculate heart and will. I'm like, I don't remember Hollinger <laughs> saying that it did. Yes. <laughs> so here we are. It's gone. It still exists on Basketball Reference, but ESPN was okay. like, okay, enough of this. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Now that we have that out of the way. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's talk about trades. You worked for the Grizzlies for a bunch of years in the front office. Do trades need to be this complicated? Does it, does it really need, and I it, thank God for the deadline or nothing would ever get mm-hmm. done, but the, why, why is it so rare for a front office to just go, Hey, this is kind of what we want to do. Can we do this as if waiting around gets you that magical second rounder that turns into 400 grand five years later? Like, I just think there's a <laughs> lot of time spent excessively. So on, on maneuvering for stuff that doesn't actually happen. And you could have just added the better player maybe a month before the deadline. There's, there's a little of that. I think what, what is more common is that teams are just generally uncertain about where they are and what they have and want more certainty just about what they have and what they need. Um, Because it's rarely been the case where oh, we were having this discussion in December and then like on deadline day, they came in with another second. So then we agreed to it. Like I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember where that, where that happened. There, I mean, there was one case where we got a first at the last minute for somebody. And then I, other, otherwise though, I, I haven't really 
Like that hasn't really been the pattern to me. It's more getting teams to engage at all, just because they're not they're they're not like mentally ready yet to to go to that spot because they they aren't as sure about where where their team is and where it stands in the hierarchy yet. And I think I actually wrote about this for the athletic today that this muddle in the West between three and 13 is very unhelpful for that, where you have teams like, well, we could be in the lottery or we could have home court advantage for the first round. Uh, I, I don't think that that helps move trade talks along. It generally is easier to do trades when everyone kind of knows where they stand and, and knows what they're trying to do. Everyone knows who's a buyer, who's a seller. And, and that, that tends to make things easier. What's the toughest trade? That you had to get done for Memphis. Uh, in in terms of just where you weren't sure, kind of speaking to what we because you're right. Like all the whispers are this deadline, and oh, I you know I see what you're saying. I I, mean, I never like to by the way just so I can I never like to say like hey it's going to be really quiet because I know there's so much that I don't know. But because of all of these teams, especially a lot of teams being like, man, it'd be kind of nice to print some playoff checks here. So maybe we're not yeah. selling. There's all these buyers. There's not that many sellers. So, you know, maybe it speaks to kind of one of the experiences you had where Memphis, although you guys had it rolling, but you knew you weren't like title favorites or anything like that. So all of those dynamics going into, we should probably do this. Do we want to do it? It's not going to be happy with the fan base. Like what's the most complicated thing you had to put together? So... Um, probably the year, um, the year that Marcus all broke his foot. And so, which happened like two weeks before the de- trade deadline, maybe even the week before the trade deadline, where we immediately went from like, from like, okay, we're pushing, you know, we're trying to make another run here to like, okay, this year's over, you know? And, uh, so then we had, uh, we had some players who were going to be free agents and we had, um, uh, we had another situation where we're getting calls on, uh, on a guy and, uh, and we had turned them down and then we had to come back and be like, well, actually we're listening now. Um, so, uh, probably having to pivot to that. And then, so we, we traded Courtney Lee, who was an expiring contract and we got uh, a bunch of second round picks because we, but because we also had to, like, this was again, pretty, pretty late in the process had to swing in Miami who we knew was trying to get under the tax and had been calling us about maybe doing some things. And so just like, so it was a three team deal. <laughs> so that was a little wild. And then, but the thing that really put it over the top was the, the Clippers have been talking to us about Jeff green, but they hadn't really offered anything. So it was just like, yeah, whatever, that's not going to happen. And then they called us 10 minutes before the trade deadline. And we're like, okay, we're willing to do a first with these protections and we can't negotiate on it because doc is inside the church for the funeral for Monty Williams wife, which I don't, you remember that whole tragic thing. Oh. Um, but they, so like the funeral was actually going on during the trade deadline. And there were a bunch of NBA people inside the church with no access to their phones, including doc rivers, who was the GM of the Clippers at the time. And so, <laughs> so like <laughs> there's this whole thing we had to get into, in touch with the league office with like eight minutes before the trade deadline. We had to, I mean, we basically had to say yes right away uh or the or the trade deadline was going to run out and it was a surprise to us because we didn't think anything was going to happen with jeff so that that was probably the wildest one wow uh yeah i i guess i feel like a lot of times when i'll hear the price the prices are always really high and then those are never really the prices and it's everybody it's almost kind of like 
there have been trades in the past where sometimes like I would hear teams say like, well, Daryl Morey messes it up because he does this and he just and you're like, OK, well, that's unfair about Daryl because other people do it as well. Um, but like the go bear price has screwed up a trade because it's now it's like, well, now I want that. It's like, you know, I don't know if anyone's ever yeah. going to get that again. Like, yeah, I don't exactly. you know, seriously, yeah. like when you look at the price paid for stars and that he's not even that guy. And then there's that kind of price. It's like, well, if you're waiting around for that price for your guy that may be even better than Gobert, I don't know that you're necessarily even going to go ahead and get it. So I do think some of the pricing stuff can be kind of a waste of time. Where like when I look at Jay Crowder with Phoenix, like, why would you? First of all, I don't understand how it got to this point. And Cam Johnson coming back is a big deal. Sort of a weird loss last night, especially with Doncic going out. And it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter until Booker's back. But like I still have faith in a healthy Phoenix. But at yeah, the same sure. time, like. Yeah. Why would you continue to allow your rotation to be exposed by this by missing a guy who started major play? Whatever you think of Jay Crowder, and I think he's maybe a little overrated, a guy that's played real minutes, real rotational minutes for teams that are good in the playoffs. So I don't understand how this was allowed to happen and why we're going to probably go up until the last day before he's actually moved. I think the biggest issue for Phoenix was that they needed to get a player back as opposed to getting picks back. Like where Phoenix is, like, oh, picks, great. Like, no, actually, we need a, we need another player, right? Like, we, right. we need to trade Jay Crowder for Jay Crowder. Like, that essentially w- was the problem, and I think why it was hard for them to do a deal. I think there are probably other, some structural uh, issues with the whole Sarver thing that probably slowed them down, too. But I, th- I think the main thing was just, it wasn't just a case of, okay, we're selling, give us a pick and, and some dead money, and we'll call it good, because that... That doesn't really advance the ball for Phoenix. What they really need to do is trade Jay Crowder for for another player. Now, Cam Johnson's back. Dario Sarge has played a lot better lately. So maybe you say now, okay, now we can trade Jay Crowder for a guard. Now maybe now maybe there's more stuff to do. But when you're trying to trade Jay Crowder and get somebody who plays the same position, like who, who are you trading with, right? Like who's if if you did if you if you had that guy, you wouldn't need to trade for Jay Crowder. So I, I think that that was the thing that really. Uh, held things up on on Phoenix's end. I will say, I mean, having tried to do this a couple times, there are very few teams in the league who are willing to make trades in November and December. Uh, we, we made a trade the first week of the season once with with Miami, um, and then otherwise, like we, there have been times we try to do stuff like Houston is or Houston then was Daryl right? They're they're always aggressive throughout throughout the year, but a lot of teams are just really reluctant to engage on anything. Uh, those those opening weeks in the season. So yeah, you're right on the Crowder thing because I mean, uh, you know, the idea that you couldn't put him to another West contender, like you probably get some blowback there. It's like, wait, you just gave them a rotational guy, but then which other contending team is going to give you a rotational piece back? Chris Haynes on the broadcast last night had mentioned that there was a Hachimura Crowder Washington thing that was going to actually get Rui to Phoenix because I've heard that Phoenix is in on all these people, but it just I don't know. You hear it all the time. It doesn't mean that any, uh, necessarily anything's going to happen. So the names, you're right. The names are really limited. I wonder if anybody would make a play for Gordon Hayward with Charlotte. Uh, I'll, I'll answer that for you. No. Why? Because he's I, not. It's 31 million next year. Like and he's 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 healthy like one day a week. Like I, I just don't see it. Yeah. Like no, what I, is that? You, you better be giving up a pretty bad contract to get him back. Like, could uh, so here's what, like, would Dallas do like Bertans, Hardaway, and a protected future pick or something? Like, that, but that, that's the kind of stuff you're getting into. Like, where it's just a bunch oh, of no, I dead didn't, money I didn't, sloshing back and forth. I don't think Charlotte was going to use this for like phase two here of the rebuild, but I would just <laughs> go like, you know, I was watching it the other day and he's never healthy. You're right. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm sure he would like to move somewhere else. I think rotationally, yeah. if everybody's there, I don't even know how he fits in necessarily. Like I was thinking of kind of the the desperate trade where a team goes, hey, we got Gordon Hayward. You're like, man, this is awesome. And the local fan base, which I don't blame them for not watching Hornets games, would be like, man, that guy's pretty good, like in 17. And so, um, yeah, again, I'm just kind of speaking out loud because the, the normal names are all kind of the same names. Like if I have to hear John Collins' name one more time, I actually feel bad yeah. for him at this point. And I, yeah. I, would, I actually think I would bet that he's moved this time around because I, I just think they, Atlanta needs to shake it up a little bit. Well, I, I think they, they've been playing better lately. I think I think it's more likely than in the past just because they're they're about to hit a situation with the tax where something's got to give. And and so I think that's going to push them. I think the problem is up to this point, they probably overplayed their hand where they've been looking for stuff back and realizing that teams don't look at that contract as as favorable at this at this point. But the, the John Collins trade I've always wanted is John Collins to Indiana. I think he'd be great next to Miles Turner, and they they're twenty seven million under the cap right now, so they can they can take on a salary. So, but we'll see. That would be crazy because then Miles could talk to John Collins about being in trade rumors for three straight years. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk a bigger Atlanta thing that has really probably nothing to do with this this upcoming mm -hmm. deadline. Uh, because I don't think it would happen. But I'm really happy that Sam Amick finally wrote what so many of us knew, that the Trey Young situation in Atlanta is brutal, um, and that it's an owner's son who's who's maybe qualified to have this much input on the front office, who seems to be the biggest Trey Young fan. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that people don't love playing with him, and that Atlanta may have to make a real decision. Again, a decision I don't think they would necessarily even take seriously uh, in season. But what do you think, could potentially like what are you willing to believe is a possibility there especially because i think trey was the one that pushed the idea that he might look to move on that chris haynes had before that it was it was references mm -hmm. league sources but i don't know we've been around long enough i kind of could tell how yeah. that one all played out and i'm just glad that sam wrote this piece that i think a lot of us had heard about a lot of us knew the deal nobody had really said it and then it all comes to the forefront where it feels like it is a big mess based on a relationship between um you know, an ownership issue and a star player that doesn't seem to have a ton of best friends on the team. No, and I mean, he didn't have a ton of best friends when they made the conference finals either. So like there's a there's a certain aspect of I mean, he's he's also really talented and you can't totally lose sight of that. But I mean, this is the thing going back to to Oklahoma. I mean, that was the uh the book on him going into the into that draft was that he was kind of off on his own and wasn't really wasn't really at the core of the team, like if emotionally, even though he was clearly the best player. Uh, well, that team was bad in Oklahoma. I don't even blame him because that team wasn't very good, you know. Yeah, I, I mean they they snuck into the tournament, but yeah, for for a team that had a had a high lottery pick, yeah, <laughs> they were not very good. Um, it's it's interesting because I do think they have to choose between Young or Murray. Like, I just can't see when Murray's contract is up in 24 and it cannot be extended the way it's structured. Um, I just can't see him choosing to go back to playing with, with Trey again when he'll have other options that I think will be much more palatable and much easier pathways to, for him to get back to the All-Star game, let's say. So I... I th I think that decision point is coming where they have to choose Trey or DeJounte. But we both agree uh, 
in speaking to everything and how hard it is to actually get something going and with the market being the way it is and the reluctance to just do something. It's kind of like the bold. It's 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 if you're going to if you're going to screw up, at least screw up with the masses. <laughs> You know, it's where if you do something that's very unique and you screw up, then it's like, I can't believe you did that. It could be the same mistake, it could be the same outcome. But if you're bold and you get it wrong, it's way worse than not being bold. And I don't know that any franchise would be bold enough to do something like that with Trey, who, again, is still so popular with that fan base. Uh, but it, it is oh, weird. I, I, at, at the trade deadline, no I think way. there's yeah. zero, right. absolutely zero chance. Now, after the season, I think we'll revisit some things. I mean, the Hawks... I think it's almost assumed at this point that they'll be making a coaching change after the season, regardless of, uh, of, of what happens the rest of this year, unfortunately for Nate McMillan. And so I think that's going to play into it too and how that dynamic goes. But I, I would be absolutely floored if anything happened with him before this summer at the absolute earliest. Do you like one Western team that much better than the field? Uh, I like two Western teams better than the field. I mean, I think Denver and Memphis have shown they're a cut above everyone else right now. You know, we'll, we'll see if like the Clippers or Golden State can get back to that point. They've shown themselves to be capable of it in the past, but this regular season in the West has been a real head scratcher. Like nobody can get out of their own way. Yeah, I, I guess the Denver defensive numbers it give me a lot of hope. Uh, I love their top six or seven guys. I think there'd probably be a moment in the playoffs where I might be a little bit worried about a team deciding to attack Jokic. Yeah, you know? totally. But, you, but yeah. I, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that changes the series because then he's going to come back on the other end. There's really nothing you can do with him. I mean, it was just hilarious watching Murray and Jokic kind of get back to that two-man game thing, which I think could be a little predictable over a playoff series. But when it's worked to perfection... Like even when you know what's coming and you know what all your help rules are, there's still really not that much you're going to be able to do. And so it would feel like the normal progression of things that, all right, they've gone through some of the battles. They made it to the Western Conference Finals a couple of years ago. Like they're ready to take that next step. But I still don't know the best version of them is that much better than the best version of a Memphis and the hope I hold out for Golden State and the same thing with Phoenix and maybe even New Orleans. So I think they're the favorites. I think it's clear. But it's not like this favorites were in years past where you go, nobody's beating that team in the West. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think once we get to the second round in the West, especially, I think it, it there's a little more of a toss-up uh, dilemma. Um, I believe right now, though, the top five teams in the West standings are all teams that have never been to an NBA Finals before. So we could get a first-time finalist here, right? Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Clippers, Pelicans. There you go. Yeah, that's good. Because I... I feel like I lean more Mem- if everybody's right. I think I like Memphis the most. But then, you know, I know the recent stretch hasn't been great. I don't love that Ja was like, we're not, we're only worried about Boston. I thought that was a really stupid thing to say for a team that hasn't been out of the second round with this group. But yeah. I love the rotation. I love that Ja is kind of just impossible at times. And I feel like some of this stuff, especially with Adams being out with his knee injury, I've really liked what I've seen from Jaron Jackson with the aggressiveness. And we know the defensive stuff is just absurd that he does. Yeah. Yeah. So Memphis, I would say half-court offense is probably the biggest concern that teams can slow them down and make them play station to station. There's not a lot of shooting there right now. They, they're, uh, I want to say they're, what are they like 22nd or something in half court offense? Like their best, their best play in half court offense is throw it on the rim and let Steven Adams go get it. Um, and I'm not sure that translates to a, to a, a playoff game. 
That said, I mean, they're going to be getting Danny Green back. They haven't really had their starting five together much this year at all and have still racked up wins. So I th- I still think there's some upside there, too. They could do more stuff at the trade deadline, although they feel a little more Stan Paddish to me at the moment. Uh, they have some assets to do some things that they really wanted to. They could probably use another big wing, bring back Jay Crowder, maybe, uh, although I, th- I think that's probably unlikely. Um, so... Uh, they're interesting for sure. I don't know. I I feel like I'm actually too close to the situation to like, I I can't see the forest for the trees a little bit because my history there and everything. Uh, But they're definitely, I don't know. Would you say co-favorites with Denver at this point? Like, yeah, I I think that's, that's kind of how I felt about it because I feel like the Pelicans are a worse bet of Zion holding up over the course of the playoffs. Like I just, well, Zion you know. and Ingram. I mean, don't forget, I mean, Ingram's not exactly Luke Gehrig either. No, you're right. I mean, that thing went on forever. We know he's coming back now, so it's it'll be exciting to see him go. But and you know, you could factor in the younger part of that, where Memphis and Denver feel like they have a few more playoff scars, um, and New Orleans has none. I think I actually do think that's important. It's not impossible, but I do think it's important. All right, but you said something about Memphis. I think of the trade thing because I think there's times you watch Dylan Brooks where I I liked it. I like in big spots. I don't think he's afraid of anything necessarily, but maybe a little more fear might help with some of the shot selection. Uh, I know he was bitching the other day about feeling like he was like a marked guy because he gets fouls. It's like, do you ever watch film of the way you play defense? Like you, you like. And to his credit, I like that he's physical, but then you yeah. can't pitch about you know getting three to four fouls every single game. I don't know if they would upgrade that. I'm with you. They have pieces. They're so good at drafting people rotationally and bringing like Aldama's a real player. Yeah, like he's totally. he's a he's a flop artist, but he's a real player and can do a couple different things matchup wise. I don't know that there's intense demand for Laravia if they wanted to move a first rounder this quickly, but I think they could do stuff. But it might be like a bigger philosophical thing where they like that they feel like they can replace maybe the expensive aging rotational guy with the guy that they've already placed somewhere else. And that kind of speaks to their depth. But some of those guys don't even play and I think they'd be valuable. Yeah, I, I think the other thing they're trying to get out in front of is the team is about to get really expensive. Yeah. Um, Morant's Supermax is going to kick in next year. Bain's extension is going to kick in the year after. They already paid Jackson. Brooks is going to be a free agent this summer. He's going to uh, probably get a raise to, I don't know, 20 or something. Uh, they did the extension with Adams. Like th- This team, even though it's an inexpensive, they're actually below the cap right now, but you look out two years ahead, and it's a much more expensive version. And so it, get, it gets, I, I, it's just something that I think they, they do want to stay in front of. And then the other thing that's tricky with Memphis, actually, uh, they don't have that big matching contract that's obvi- the obvious thing to put in a trade. They don't have somebody making $15 million sitting at the end of the bench. And so, like, putting together deals for them gets a little complicated that way. Like, yeah, you could trade Jake Laravia, but like, he's, makes like 2 million or something. Right. right. So like you can only take back like four. So it, that's where it gets a little tricky for them. Okay. Staying with that then, because I think that's a good pivot into golden state is because I don't think teams around the league have given up on Wiseman. I think they'd like to find a way to get him. Um, I think Kaminga still has his moments. It's kind of funny too. Like he gets really up for jaw. Uh, I've seen that a couple times this year. I thought his Memphis game, he was pretty good. Mm-hmm. recently, but he's still an unknown. And then Kerr trusts Anthony Lamb more than he does some of the lottery guys, right? Uh, yeah. Which, which I can't imagine being a lottery guy. And you're like, wait, this guy went to Vermont. He's playing more minutes than me. 
it would feel like punting on the assets a bit, but with this group and wherever this window is going, and then you have the Bob Myers situation with his contract and being up this summer and all the rumors about what he could potentially do, you wonder if if they may say, is there a piece? But again, then it always ends with, okay, what's that piece? What's that rotational piece that would be playing real playoff minutes that makes sense for Golden State to kind of philosophically shift? I don't blame them for hoping some of these guys have developed. It hasn't worked, and they're not allowed the leeway that other top prospects... Like, if Wiseman were on the Rockets, although no one would ever want to take away Alpi's minutes here, but if he were on yeah. the Rockets, he'd be running around doing shit every week going, this is insane. He's just not going to get that because the rotational stuff's too messed up with him. I. I don't know if it's just give me your read on it. It doesn't have to be based on sources or anything like that. And if I, they would I, think, say, I think they have to trade Wiseman because that 12 million next year for how expensive that team is going to be is going to cost them like 60 million. And he's just he's not going to play again. Like I, and right now, like this is the window, I, I think almost like the last window where they can get something of value for him that can help that can help them get another title in the Curry era. And I think they had this idea that, like, okay, we'll have, you know, Wiseman, Moody, Kaminga, and that'll be, you know, our next generation. And I think they underestimated how hard it is to put together truly elite talent that is that is contender class. I mean, when two of these three lottery picks basically never play for them, uh, and Kaminga, like, yeah, he's like he's pretty good, right? Like, <laughs> but you know, is he, is he the best rookie from his class? No. Um, or I say best, best player from his class, let's say, um, since they're second year players now. Uh, so what, what, what do they really have there? If you, if you strip away Curry green Thompson, well, you have the Houston Rockets basically. Right. So I, 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 you wish you might wish you had the Houston Rockets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I think the move is you, you you have to do something with Wiseman and get the value you can for him. Now, I think you're right. I do think there are teams willing to take that shot. And th that's the way you maximize the chances of Curry, Green, Thompson getting you another ring. Okay, we'll go. I don't want to call them rapid fire, but we will go extended rapid fire. All right. Okay. So a couple things to close. Uh, which ro roster would you rather have moving forward, Houston, Orlando, or Oklahoma City? Do I get to keep Oklahoma City's draft picks? No, because then you just... <laughs> Boy, uh, I'm... Uh, I It's it's Orlando or Oklahoma City for me. I, I might even lean Orlando. Um, there, I mean, Wagner, Boncaro, Carter... Like that's that's pretty good. That's a pretty good front court for a long time. I I'll t I'm so happy like of not giving up on Suggs, and I get that some of the offensive stuff. You're like, okay, you know, do we already kind of know what this is going to be limitation wise? But yeah. the way he went at Tatum, and some of the in between stuff that he does. I mean, that's not what you're looking for when you're taking a guard top five. You're like, man, he makes a lot of heady plays. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're hoping the ceiling like, is higher than that. Yeah, and, and maybe it's yeah. concerning. But I loved what I saw from him from an intensity competitive. Like I love watching that team play. So that's a good transition to this. Would you rather have Tatum and Jalen Brown or Paolo and Franz in three years? I think I'd probably have Tatum and Brown. Yeah, Just I mean, Tatum's yeah. still in his twenties. He's with top five player. Like it's you're, a bad question. You're, I want to see if I can get Bon Caro. Yeah. Maybe if everything works out right, can get to the level where Tatum is right now. So I, I got to go with the Celtics guys. 
the Tatum part of it is the you can't. Yeah, I, I didn't know if I was going to trick you with the magic momentum that we have on, <laughs> on the uh, <laughs> podcast. Okay, um, who was when you saw it on the caller ID? It was just the worst trade calls. And you're like, ah, seriously, I'm gonna have to wait 30 minutes. The opposing team, front office guy, we were like, ah. Who is the, who is the worst one to deal with? <laughs> yeah, I, th- uh, there is okay. There is a clear winner on this, but I'm I'm gonna keep that to myself. I tried. I knew you were gonna do that. Okay, last <laughs> one, last one in honor of of the Gobert trade, which. <sighs> I don't know if we're ready historically to understand how bad this trade is going to be. We, no one liked it. It's even worse. And it's really, if you were, if you were Ainge uh-huh. and the contracts, like, let's pretend the contracts don't matter here because that's what makes okay. it even worse. And Minnesota called you back up and said, hey, we made a mistake, mm-hmm. but this is what we want to do. We'll give you Gobert for Walker Kessler straight up. Would you say no if you were? I, I honestly might say no because oh, oh you said contracts don't matter. Okay, all right. I, I would I would pro- I would probably go ahead and do it then. Uh, okay. But uh, I mean, the thing is, uh, that's the the most amazing thing about that Minnesota trade is it wasn't like they traded a pick that became Walker Kessler. They had him like they had they had him in their building. Had they had already drafted him, and he makes like two million dollars or whatever for the next four years, and. Instead, they sent him out as part of the Gobert package. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's a tough one. All right, let's end on that. Thank you, John. Thanks for having the show. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like you should gain season, throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class that just makes sense the sunday jogger is the number one go-to and of course the core short out now get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet our listeners get 20 percent off their first purchase at viori.com slash ryan r-y-e-n that's v-u-o-r-i.com slash ryan 
Okay, the pick segment is going to be really quick because I spent 15 minutes on it in the open. As you know, I'm laying the points with Philadelphia and taking the points with Cincinnati. Kyle? Uh, yeah, quick check-in. After your 3-1 and one last week, you're down to 41%. I'm up from 34 to 38%. I might be able to catch you as long as I fade you, so I'm going to take the opposite. I'm going to take San Francisco plus 2.5, and, and I'm going to take uh, Kansas City. What is that, minus 1.5? Yeah, it's well, we'll see how it goes um, on that. But I don't know how much they'll move, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm taking, I'm fading right. you, basically. I'm taking Kansas okay. City. And uh, that's really my only shot here. Sarudi still at 57%, but uh, whatever. Maybe we'll see him at the Super Bowl. Yeah, maybe next year's Super Bowl. Uh, I do have <laughs> a thing that I may need to go back to on, on the wild card round, though, because was there an official picks that was less? Because I thought I was just going whatever I'm picking in the open, that's it. And that was five and one. So I may uh, have to go back and round. listen. Well, wildcard round, you have your, you have, I have you at three and one. Yeah, I know, but I, I don't, I forget. Honestly, I shouldn't even have shared this on the air, so we're not going to worry about it. We'll do it later. Oh, uh, losing faith in the old stats, are we? Okay. Uh, well, I don't know that we've been super locked in on the standings, and we started it after. Like the thing that sucks for me is we started it after I started the season eight and two, and then we were like, okay, now let's do a contest at like week four. <laughs> All right. Well. Yeah. Yeah, no, good luck. look. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Later. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Okay, uh, what's up, Kyle? Good to How's see you. I got, I got you up early. Just for those pe- the people to know, I sent Kyle like a 5.45 a.m. text being like, hey, what can-? and then I called him. He's like, dude, I'm trying to get in the shower. And then I try to explain to him. I'm just letting you guys behind the curtain here a little bit. And then I said, <laughs> oh, you're in the shower. And I go, how about I hang up, stop talking, we'll see you early. Because we, we got stuff to do over here at the, the Casa. <laughs> well, you, yeah. And it was, like, uh, it was like, how early can we go? I, I was like, I decided... To just wake up for a second before I answered. I was like, I don't know, 20 minutes early. You're like, yeah, how about 40? I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> so yeah. Here we are, 40 minutes early. Yeah. No. And, you know, look, I, I appreciate it. So, <laughs> yeah, of course. Had, had to be done. Okay. Uh, all right. I like this one. Pretty simple, straightforward. Daughter is considering UVM and Marist College. Oh, my God. This got to be fake. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Both of our, right in our wheelhouse, both of us. I don't think it's that impossible. It's not. Yeah. It's really not. Right. Poughkeepsie's a hub, as we've discussed, so I get it. Right. I have a daughter, do you, who was a senior in high school. Uh, she's lived her whole life in Orange County. She's considering several colleges, two of which are UVM and Marist, uh, which is in Poughkeepsie. Oh, we know. We're going to be taking a trip to, in March to visit both. I was hoping, who knows, if Kyle's back, she could sublet a room or something. <laughs> Wait, we're talking Orange County, New York? Probably not, right? No, 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 no. Okay, just want to make sure. Out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to ask stuff like that. She wants to go back east. She wants to see the seasons. I think it's great. Great. I think it's a great call. Me too. Uh, We're going to be taking a trip in March to visit both. I was hoping you and Kyle could give some advice on where she should go uh, to get a good feel for the college and surrounding areas. All right. I'll uh, I'll defer to you. Take the opening kick here. Uh, Sure. I mean... The, I mean, just the, the the valley part of the Hudson Valley is the best. So, I mean, you know, you got the walking bridge. If she's like a trails person, there's plenty of them. They got the rail trail, which connects to the walking bridge. Um, I don't know about bars. I feel like UVM probably has Poughkeepsie beat on bars. It's just, that's just my thought. 
Um, so I would, you know, I think the bars that are in your face of Poughkeepsie are the ones you would really go to anyway. There's some new, new thing called uh, Academy. It's called the Academy. It's on Academy Street. It's awesome. My buddy's got a place called Chakra Bowls. If she's into uh, health foods, Chakra Bowls right there on uh, Route 44. Um, yeah, I'd say just do the Valley. The Valley stuff in the Hudson Valley is what's going to really sell her um, on on whether she wants to be there or not. And then it's going to be cold and then that stuff won't matter either. So it'll just be like kind of a regular cold college town once that happens. So, um, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I, I just feel like you kind of got us beat with um, with what you're going to say, but uh, that's all right. I don't know. I, I, I'm a little shocked here because Captain Poughkeepsie over here is already, you already seem like a guy that doesn't want to get into the fight. Like you're just assuming I'm going to win. Well, I just I don't hear like UVM that. I don't like party that from school. You. I just think I hear UVM party school and I'm just thinking about bars. I know there's new ones since I left, but it's just like, I don't know if, if, it, if that's what matters to a college kid, which it did to me. Um, I don't know. I like my bars because I know where the, you know, the old guys are and I know where the young guys are and I can, I can kind of bounce around on, on how I'm feeling. But if it's just like new and I want to see everything, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to, if it's going to wow a college kid that could have gone to UVM. I got to tell you, I don't know if the dad is just going, what's the bar scene? I know he's looking not. for I know certain he's not. dives. Yeah, I know he's not. Uh, what, what's the general, it's a really beautiful town, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, the cold factor, she's going to be cold either place. So we right. already got that one out of the way. If you want to be warm, do not do this. Uh, I had a time walking across campus once where I was like, if I don't make it, I'm fine. I'm so cold. <laughs> I'm so cold. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, uh, we're, we're uh, let's see, we're, we're like 45 minutes from a ski resort. The Catskill Mountains are like an hour away. So like, I don't know if that, if like you're thinking about doing that. Like, I'm trying to think, what does a college kid do? I know some of my dudes would load up and go to like a mountain in the Adirondacks, and that was like a plus for them. I'm trying to think like pluses for for college students. Um, the train to the city. I mean, you go right down to New York City. Uh, you can get there in in ninety minutes on the slow train. I think it's like seventy five on the fast train um, on the express. You got that. Be right in Grand Central at your leisure. Um, I don't know. I what else is there? What else do college kids want to do? I don't think they do any of that stuff. I think the parent walks around with a pamphlet. And the student has no interest <laughs> and the student is, or the, the child at this point is at this age where it's like, you know, I admire and envy the, the parent child relationship where they would go to visit a school and be like fired up to spend the day with each other. Because I would always think of it as I like, did that, yeah. yeah, there'd be like some pamphlet and your dad would be like, oh, they have a volunteer bakery. Like that might be kind of interesting. <laughs> like the gray shear city. And just like, do you want to come up with more stuff? I'm definitely never fucking doing. Uh, not that my dad would ever actually say that he would, he would know better at that point, but you get the point. And you know, you, you want them. There's even that line from the Sopranos where I think, uh, I think the mom is going to visit Meadow and she's like pointing to the flyers that were on oh, your yeah. dorm, you know, <laughs> and it was like, like perfect. To you. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was perfect because everybody on both sides of that would go. Yeah. The mom, because now she has perspective on stuff is seeing something going on. All right. So, uh, I would, I would just say about Burlington that it's, it's kind of the perfect city to go to college in. that's, that's how I looked at it. And this is somebody who, because of game day, you know, I don't know, 60 plus campuses, and there was plenty that I really liked. Uh, it all sort of depends on what you want. The funniest thing, like one of the things when you play back certain memories in your head, I would say after a couple weeks, because I actually wanted to go to St. Mike's, which is in Winooski, is the next town over. And looking back on it, I'm, I'm happy with my decision. I think I even uh, 
did a deposit at both. It was like down to the wire. Like it was the summer and I still wasn't 100% sure where I was going to go. And so I go to UVM and after a couple of weeks, I was actually walking around campus being like, you've made a huge mistake. Like this is too big. It's too much for me. Like I can't, I don't like, this is weird. And I'd always been in small towns. I was never close, even though I've lived in big cities as an adult. I was never, you know, backwoods place in Connecticut, Martha's Vineyard. It's like, hey, you know, fucking next step, Alaska. Like it was, it was pretty isolated, um, you know, small town kind of stuff. And so Burlington and that campus at 8,000 undergrad and grad, maybe it felt way too big. And it's one of the funniest because by the end of the year, I was like laughing at the thought that it was too big because right. by the end of it, it felt really, really small. You go but, visit somebody, you're like, oh man, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I went was, to Penn I was, State like, oh my God. Well, look, visiting Penn State, I could have been happier to go to UVM. So I would, <laughs> what I loved about UVM is that it had a campus feel to it where you could be just on campus, but then it had this kind of bustling town, even more so certainly now it's, it's a gorgeous town. The setting is great. And you can feel like you're part of this downtown thing, not just the bars, but just like you have a thing to be like, hey, let's go into town and we're going to kind of do this thing. And it's not just the same four places. It's a real town where real people are living. And even though the college supports so much of what's going on economically, uh, it's it's really the only town in that area. The next towns that are closest to it, I mean, seriously, it's you'd go to Montreal or you would have to end up in like New Hampshire, you know, like seriously, that's, that's how, so I, I loved it as far as the perfect town, as far as the college thing, I can't really speak to it. I haven't been there in forever. I think UVM probably can be considered a little weird, but that's what people said about it when I was going there. I'd be like, Oh, you're just going to be a hippie and do whatever. I was like, actually it's like for a lot of prep school kids that couldn't get into like even better schools. And they're like, all right, this school's good enough. I'll just go here and have a good time. So, uh, I don't know what it's like now. I talked to somebody who I went to school with and she took her son on a visit and he was kind of like, you know, if you get the wrong tour guide, then it's your first impression. And now you start thinking, look, and, and Burlington can be a little weirder if you care about that stuff. But I just can't imagine it's like a college student going politically. This doesn't feel like the right environment. Like, are you really going to do that? Maybe you do. Maybe that's that speaks to to how you operate. Um, me, 18 to 22, I didn't give a shit who the mayor was. All right. So (laughs) (laughs) there you go. Although they did pass all sorts of legislation that fucked over any student. Um, and they, they, all the locals would vote on it. We would never vote on it. I don't even know why we should have been voting as temporary college students anyway. But again, this stuff was impacting us and they would pass all sorts of stuff where we would lose every single time. Um, (laughs) which is pretty much standard for, for how that stuff would, would happen anyway. So, all right, there you go. That's a hard sell by both guys. I just, I is what's is Poughkeepsie like that? Does it feel like it's a town that exists it without is. the college? It it totally okay. is. I mean, Poughkeepsie okay. was an IBM town, which is actually still there. And then the other thing that he's that uh, he, he kind of reminded me is there are actually a lot of other little pockets in these towns that are, you know, 10, 15 minutes away. That's that's kick ass. And there's a bunch of colleges. You got uh, the Culinary Institute of America. I think that's one of four of them is right there in Hyde Park, right down the road from you. You got Dutchess Community College right there. New Paltz is not far. Uh, yeah, Dutch Community College. You want to see some some characters, you go there. But you'll see these people all, all around the town. So the, that's that's good. And there's plenty of places to explore if you want to go there. It's not like just Poughkeepsie or nothing. It's not Poughkeepsie or bus. And then the last thing I would say is for flying, might be a little bit of a pain in the ass. It's not like you show up to the airport and then you take a 20-minute cab to where you're from. I think you can come out of Westchester now 
but then you got to get uh, probably on the on the Metro North from Westchester to Poughkeepsie. And, you know, that's what you get when you go far away, but it's just not super simple. Yeah. I, I Whenever you start talking about like all the surrounding areas and stuff, especially early on, you just don't do a lot of that stuff. You're just no, not going to. That's like junior year, senior year stuff. You get a little more right. ambitious. At UVM, we never wanted to leave. Never. Like we, only, I can only think of a couple weekends where we went to go visit somewhere else because you were always afraid of coming back and being like, what I miss? Yeah, so that's true. We never, never left other than the, the slew run where I think even we were like, whoa, are we not? doing enough <laughs> yeah that's what i thought of when i went there too <laughs> yeah like are we actually pretty soft like what's what, what's our problem <laughs> all right okay um yeah, this one's a little weird i don't even know i don't know if we're gonna lose another listener on this one uh cold call psychology here we go 27 63 200 bench 255 looking for clarity i work for a major four sports team in season ticket sales uh Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. Right. So hockey, football, basketball, baseball. He works Most for of my a job major? is. What what's that? that? He works for a major four sports team. What is this like a college or something? No, 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 no. I, I believe he means the four professional sports that we would. Uh, oh, a major as, four. Okay. Right. So he's keeping it vague, but we get it. Okay. Yeah. No, it's smart to keep it vague. Um, most of my job, we have somebody who's doing some relationship email, Kyle, and you sent me the first one. So now I'm getting the update and he's like, please don't read this. Please don't read this. We're not fucking reading it. Don't worry about it. Like if you can, we got people you, quaking in their boots these days, dude. Right. <laughs> Stop emailing the show at 3am. Get it together. Uh, I don't even know if that's the same one, but it's happened a few times. And you know, we, we had that one that actually in the aftermath, I was like, we oh, had to lose you know what. Yeah. Yeah. We, we just, all right, so anyway, here we go. Um, he works season ticket sales, which I did as well, minor league baseball, 20 years ago. Most of my job is cold calling single game buyers of businesses trying to get their foot in the door in the arena for a membership. We obviously have hundreds of conversations of making these calls throughout the week, and most people do not have interest in taking a cold call, uh, to which we hear a plethora of excuses of why they can't talk. Welcome to cold calling. We totally understand that no one wants to have a conversation with a random stranger, but after doing this for several years, there's still a common response that I cannot fathom that people think is a valid excuse to not have a conversation. So he's upset that people use this as an excuse to not engage further. Quote, I cannot talk right now. I'm at work. Like, yeah, it's 11 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. Do you think most people aren't working right now? You saw the phone was ringing, but you still picked it up to tell me you cannot talk. <laughs> Wait, so you're blaming the person that you called? <laughs> What about if I don't have any money? Is that you walking around without any right. money guy? Really? Okay. Weirdo. Do you think I'm calling a stranger for fun on a weekday? I'm also at work. Do you truly want to talk <laughs> at a different time? Or are you just trying to not hurt my feelings? Yes. Is yes. the answer. Yes. Is the answer. <laughs> it's putting this out there for the people who also make cold calls. But why do you think people consider this a valid response? It makes everyone's life a lot easier on both sides. If you're honest about not wanting to have a conversation, then we know not to call back looking for the thoughts of an amateur psychologist, big cat's words, not mine. Did big cat call me that? That's fine. I don't know. I've been, I've been called worst and I don't know that it's entirely untrue. People that hate this segment, which is very, very rare that I hear somebody that hated like who the book, you're like, yeah, whatever. Who are you? We're just, yeah, we're just answering fucking <laughs> emails joke, here. Man. Right? I'm not prescribing drugs, but like, what would I would do here? 
All right, so uh, this is kind of a weird one only because the guy's pissed about what is a very go-to response because you know what people don't do? Like when DirecTV calls you, right, because they're trying to upgrade you on the thing that you're not going to fucking cancel that six months later is all going to show up on your bill. Like we all know the game. Like gym memberships, again, way ahead of this economic development of just what can we get people to subscribe to that they won't cancel because people forget. We have apps now that give us heads up on like, hey, you haven't canceled this. It's the whole sector. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right. OK, that's this is dudes aren't trying to sell the product like what haven't people signed up for? That's my business model. <laughs> so uh, I don't say I have no interest, although, you know, it's getting there. Right. Like when somebody calls you about something like this and they get through. And sometimes you are waiting on a call and it may not seem spam risk, although the technology is getting better and better to not answer the calls that you don't want. But if you answer it, I just don't think many people like there's just a human thing about us where you're not going to go. I have no interest and never want to talk to you again. Thank you for your time. Like, it's great. It's efficient. This is what this guy's asking for. Apparently terse, efficient to the point. Right. No doubt. Hey, I hate sports. I'm never going to this, right? Is that what the guy, I think it's just a very human like massaging of like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to talk to this guy selling me something. So we let people down easy as a natural sort of thing. Yeah. Is he hoping to get some momentum after this where now people just start answering phone calls in the most abrupt way possible? <laughs> no, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. How did you get this number? <laughs> did you ever cold call? No, I was terrified. And I, I was Cutco came to town when I was a kid. And there were a couple kids, some industrious kids willing to go sell knives, calling and stuff like that. And I was like that. It just makes me nauseous when I think about it. Just bothering people at home makes me nauseous. So I was like, no, I'll like work at a pizza place or I'll be like a I'll watch kids, people's kids at the gym or something. I'm not selling knives door to door. I am not cold calling. My sister would do the Girl Scout cookies. And I was like, I'm uncomfortable for my whole family that you're going to ask them how much do you want to buy? So I'm, I'm never I'm never into that. I was never into that. I always steered far, far clear of that. I could see you just being like, dude, knives. I can get you a knife. <laughs> yeah, you come like, to me. You find me, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. wait, like I'm gray market, man. Like, what are you looking for? I don't, <laughs> I don't need to do this. I don't need to do this. I don't need any channels. I don't need any data. I don't need to leave a trail behind. Like, you need a knife. Just let me. What are you going to use it for? Just tell me what right. you need it for. <laughs> right. right. Say cutlery. Uh, that's pretty funny. That's pretty fun. So you never had to do anything like that. You've never done anything. You didn't do the Easter candy thing where they make nope. you sign up the sheet. Nope. I used to go to my grandmother's nursing home and have everybody sign that sheet up. And I don't even know if I delivered. You know, I liked I always seemed like there was extra chocolate bunnies in my house. My mother would be like, Who's this for? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> guy, might not, guy might not even be there anymore, you know? Like it's one of those nursing homes. They pushed so, me at Models to sell more. And I was just like, sure, no intention of like pushing harder i was just like yeah i'll help you guys but like you know managers would be like hey that guy's walking around i'm like yeah and, and until he starts to look lost i'm gonna leave him alone uh, you know i don't know what he wants i'm not gonna try to push a baseball mitt on him unless he asks me for it like that's just that was just my because i don't like being like you know being get like get on when i'm in a store or somebody's calling me or something like that i just you know i i know that good salesmen aren't that way but i was just never destined to be a good salesman yeah, I, I think it's great. I think the people that have it down. I had a cold call when I went to the Trenton Thunder, uh, which I've you know talked about in the past. That was a pretty brutal experience. 
And it was brutal for a bunch of reasons, but I mean, the, the number one thing was the financial part of it. Like I was told, I sat in an interview and they were like, it's a, a free internship. And I'm like, dude, I'm turning 27 this year. Like, I, what you, <laughs> Money's got to start coming in, man. Right. Like I can't, you saw the resume. I flew down here. I can't fathom that you would have thought. Like, again, I didn't have much on the resume, but even, even at that stage, I was like, I can't do that. I was like, see, I was like pissed. I was like, all right, I'm out of here. And they were like, sit down. Let's see if we can't figure something out. And then the GM came in and he was like, what do you need? And that's where the whole thing started. He was just like, we'll put you on the air. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, but you're going to have to sell. You're going to have to sell the cold call and sell tickets and do all this kind of stuff. So I was like, all right, well, how's that going to work? Like, what's the money? He was like 12 grand base, but you'll make like 30. So I was like, wait, am I going to make 30 or like, and he goes, no, no, you'll make, you'll make 30. He's like, you'll probably make 30. <laughs> Slip that one word in there. Right. Right. And so after I moved down there, drove down, left the girlfriend behind and then, uh, I started cold calling. So how'd you do at it though? Did you find it? Did you find a stride or what? Yeah, I was okay at it. You know, cause those tickets aren't super in demand, right? The minor league baseball tickets, right? The no. Renegades are good, but I don't know. I've never been like, I wish somebody would call me so I get my package together. No, I think the key was knowing who to call. You know, like if you found a new boys and girls club, you were like, oh, I'm uh, on it. Okay. You know, we used to have like a draft. We'd have a meeting before the day would get started. And then once there were new leads, we would have a kind of a draft. We'd go around. I remember there was this one thing where there was like this new production company, this movie thing or whatever. And it was like a big deal in Trenton. And I was like, ah, I picked this production company because I'd read it in the paper. I'd go through the paper and look to see if there was new stuff going on. Because I was trying to figure out a way to make money. Just be so good was, at this. I, I good enough to make 30. Yeah. Right. And they, it was funny because in the draft, they were like, um, actually, uh, we had a, a thing. Because they realized, like, that's a sick draft pick. We should have been on that. We're not letting this kid who's been here two months take them. So it was like, all of a sudden, like, actually, you're not allowed. Like, that's not really how the draft worked. But the thing that sucked was that once I had been doing it for a couple of weeks, and I was, you know, I was okay. Like, I would always try to find a way to disarm. Like, hey, I know this sucks. Nobody wants to talk to us right now. But, like, you've got a youth group over there. Let's do this thing. And the whole thing was this idea that you get this massive discount on this group, right? And it wasn't even close to being true. It wasn't that much of a discount. But you're always trying to figure out, like, these whales. We were like, oh, it's this youth group. They're going to bring out, like, 100, 200 kids. I'm going to do this whole thing. And you can figure out your commission. But after a couple of weeks, when I figure out my commission, I was like, there's no way. There's no way I'm making $18,000 in commission. Zero. <laughs> and you left out the part where you don't give us the commission until the season is over. Okay. So oh they sit God. there on they sit there on your commission making interest. Right. Um, <laughs> the whole thing was so <laughs> fucked up financially. So then I'm I'm like, this is insane. Like I have to sell millions of tickets, millions of tickets. And there's 20 of us in there cold calling. And you lied in the interview. You straight up lied. And then the guy was like, kind of gave me a look like, hmm. Gotcha. Too late. <laughs> Too late <we>? now, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, though. This motherfucker, as soon as he was on the air for a couple months, was like, I'm not riding this shit out anymore. See ya. <laughs> um, My whole star break is going to be permanent. Go ahead. I will say to the, our guy, I actually have adopted your way of like going, going about things when people are cold calling me. I'll just say no thanks, man. And I'll hang up. I'm not really waiting for the no thanks. And it's like, oh, because then it's, are you sure? So if that's what you want, if you want a no thanks and a, and a swift hang up, that's what I've done. I've, I've adopted. I used to, you know, pat my pockets when a dude asked me for money on the streets. Now I just say no. I don't have to say why. Like if I have, and if I'm going to give some money, I will. But if I'm not, I'm not going to be like, oh shit, I don't, uh, no cash today. I'll even just say no cash today sometimes. Now it's just straight up no. Um, 
just that's that's how I've uh, approached things. And if that's what you want, I'm doing that. So you'll get a you'll get a no thanks and a hang up from me if you ever call me. I think that's what the emailer is simply asking for is just everybody be ruder and more yeah. efficient. There it you took go. me a while to get here and I don't feel great about it, but I, I kind of am. I mean, I'm living my truth, you know. <laughs> I love the pocket pat was part of like it was your, you know, maybe it was a couple bucks. Then it was a pocket pat. And now it's just no cash. Yeah. Now it's no. Actually, it used to be no cash. Now it's just no. You think guys sit around being like. Fucking debit cards, man. <laughs> it just killed us. <laughs> the 90s were awesome. Okay, enjoy the games this weekend. Thanks to Kyle, the Ryan Musillo podcast, Ringer Spotify. We'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs> <laughs>